Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. David Matheson sitting in for our regular host, Cy Kellett, this afternoon. Uh, Cy is feeling a little under the weather, so we certainly miss him. And if you'd pray for him, that he's back in this chair very soon. In the meantime, I'm happy to be with you. Again, I'm the fundraising director normally uh, here at Catholic Answers. We're not going to talk so much about that. What we're going to do today is what we always do here on Catholic Answers Live, and that is uh, two full hours. We're now in the second hour, but two full hours of apologetics and evangelization. If you don't know what apologetics is, it is the explanation and defense of the Catholic faith. We just wrapped up a great first hour of Open Forum with Tim Staples. We now have a second hour of Open Forum, this time with my good friend, Carlo Broussard. Carlo, welcome to the show. Hey, Dave. How are you, buddy? Always good to see you. And of course, Carlo, uh, you guys know him well. He is the author of Purgatory is for Real. The uh, We mentioned this in the last hour, com- the Communion of Saints 20 Answers uh, booklet. Uh, Meeting the Protestant Response is his newest book that is out in print. But I heard a rumor you've got another book coming out next month. Yes, Tell sir. Expected release date is March 30th. Okay, so right told. at the end of next month, yep. At least with regard to getting the hard copy, so it's okay. available for pre-order now, Excellent. currently at shop.catholic.com. The title of the book is The New Relativism, mm-hmm. Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. Okay. Basically going through 10 modern moral absolutes. Thy shall not be white supremacist, thy shall not be intolerant, thy shall not be a judgmental, hateful bigot, and mm-hmm. on down the line, mm-hmm. and showing that these moral absolutes, or what some have called the new moral absolutism, yeah. is not really the death nail in the coffin for relativism. Rather than relativism being dead, these modern absolutes are actually masks for relativism outright. Whether it be total relativism, there is no truth, or moral relativism, there's no absolute truth when it comes to morality, or even cultural relativism, like there's no objective truth, uh, except no truth except that which is relative to the group and groupthink and what the culture or the society believes. Mm -hmm. And so that's basically the thesis of the book, going through these modern absolutes, exposing the relativism that's lurking behind the absolutes, and then coaching you in ways to refute the absolute itself and the relativistic thinking that's embedded in it. Yep, and that's a key point because that's what we do here at Catholic Answers. We don't just always share the information, but we really like to teach you, the listener, the reader, how to employ that knowledge and put it to work around the water cooler at the family dinner table, what have you, right? Yeah, and offering different strategies and different approaches to address that singular issue so that you have the arrows in the quiver, so to speak, Mm -hmm. so that whenever you discern the appropriate target, you know which arrow to pull from the quiver. Because not... Every individual is the same, not every individual circumstance is the same, and so you're always going to be approaching issues from different angles and Mm -hmm. different ways. Rather than starting with step one, you might be starting with step five, right? Right. Depending upon the needs of the person to whom you're speak with whom you're speaking. And so that's basically what I'm doing specifically with regard to these moral, modern moral absolutes, which as I argue in the book are only absolute in verbiage, mm. but in thought, in concept, in what's behind the verbiage, it's not absolute, it's actually relativism. Mm. Sounds fascinating. Sounds like something we're going to need to pick up. So you can pre-order that book right now on shop.catholic.com. You'll have it in your hands end of March, early April. It's just around the corner. So it's a great opportunity to get the newest book by Carlo Broussard. Pre-order that now. We, are, we have an hour of open forum today with Carlo. Any question about the Catholic faith is 
fair game. If you've got that burning question that you've been meaning to ask someone, uh, we're here at Catholic Answers to answer those questions, and we've got one of the best with us today in Carla Broussard. The number to call is 888-318-7884, 888-318-7884. We got just, I think, one or two lines open right now, uh, so give us a call now, and we'll get you in the queue. Carla, you also mentioned you've got a trip coming up. Uh, you're headed over to the East Coast, I believe. Yes. Uh, let's see if I can remember correctly. I think it's March 4th and 5th, okay. if my memory serves me correctly. I'm going to St. Pius X Catholic Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Okay. And I'll be giving a talk on sexual sanity, mm. a voice of reason, and a sex-crazed culture, and articulating a philosophical defense of the Church's teaching on human sexuality and God's design for our sexual powers and various behaviors that would be in conflict with that design. Sure. And then I'll be talking to the confirmation class on religion, why should I care? I'm actually talking to the first communion class, the second grade first Uh, communion class on the Eucharist, and I'll be talking to the adults on relativism and apologetics for an age of unbelief. So I have my work cut out for me. I'll be busy, but I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. That's March 4th and 5th at St. Pius X Catholic Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. You can always give them a jingle. Yep. Give them a call and get the details on the talk times and all of that good stuff. So if you live in the Triangle area of North Carolina, Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro, Wake Forest, et cetera, um, you know, check out St. Pius X, and on their website they probably have more information about Carlo's talk. Let's go ahead and get rolling. we got full lines uh, at this point. Carlo, you ready to get started? Let's give it a shot. All right. We're going to start right at the top with Alex calling us from across the border over in British Columbia, Canada. Alex is listening on Facebook. Go right ahead for Carla Broussard. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Doing great, thanks. Awesome, thanks for taking my call. Last time I called, uh, all the comments on Facebook were all making fun of my Canadian accent. Oh no, we don't do that here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Go right ahead. uh, Quick question here. So, um, in light of what's happened the last couple of years up here with the COVID-19 and churches closing down and... uh, um, when they were opening up some churches, they had um, vaccine uh, vaccination at the front door as you're walking into the church for some masses and things like that. So there's been mm. a lot of controversy, and it, what ended up is a lot uh, of my friends ended up going over to uh, the SSPX, mm. and once the churches opened up for everyone, they never came back, and it's been a mm. quite a big uh, matter of uh, debate with everyone. Right. Um, but one of the things that I was wondering with this, um, is, you know, and they they sitting here going, you know, all the abuses in the Norris Ordo and all this that we're trying, you know, they bring up. One of them is the use of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. And so in reading about it, I mean, I've come across Redemptionist Sacramentum, mm-hmm. um, which I think came out in 2004. And so my question with that with regards when they talk about the use of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, and that in that letter that says that exactly that's what you're supposed to call them and nothing else, and I mean, everywhere yeah. here, I only ever hear uh, Eucharistic ministers, is mm-hmm. usually what they're called. Right. Yeah. Um, but the use of them saying that uh, only when a priest and deacon are lacking, when the priest is prevented by weakness or advanced age or some other genuine reason, or when the number of faithful coming to communion is so great that the very celebration of Mass would be unduly prolonged. Mm-hmm. This, however, is to be understood in such a way that a brief prolongation, considering the circumstances and culture of this place, is not at all a sufficient reason. Now, are we 
bound to that to this day or if things changed since 2004 or are we not supposed to be using uh, the extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion in just a daily mass because here, I mean, everybody has them, even if there's just 20, 30 people. Right. Even the priest is capable of Yeah. All right, Alex. Well, thank you very much, brother, for your call. And the quote that you were reading there comes from Redemptionis Sacramentum, section 158, for our listeners out there, if they want to check it out. And you were right, it was issued by the Congregation, then called the Congregation for Divine Worship in 2004. And I think so to answer your question specifically and in short, yes, it is still binding. This is a disciplinary precept that has been issued to us and to pastors and celebrating uh, the liturgy with regard to ho- issuing Holy Communion, distributing Holy Communion, that would still be binding, and pastors need to be reverent in their, artic- in their interpretation of it and the application thereof. So with that said— there is one state, there's one sort of key phrase in there that allows for a bit of wiggle room, you might say, for interpretation within given circumstances. Notice that it said, for some other genuine reason. And so I would admit, and I would be sympathetic to the view, that there are some pastors in some churches who abuse that loophole, right, and interpret that, interpret that in a false way. And here's the wrong way to interpret that. Namely, let's get everybody up here so that they can have a fuller participation in the liturgy. Well, actually, the very same document, Alex, contradicts that very interpretation. So if you go back up to section 151, it talks about extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion or extraordinary ministers in the celebration of the liturgy in general— one of which would be extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion, and it says only out of true necessity is there to be recourse to the assistance of extraordinary ministers. Then it goes on to state such recourse is not intended for the sake of a fuller participation of the laity, but rather by its very nature is supplementary and provisional. So if a pastor is taking that for some genuine reason— in order to have a plethora of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion to give the laity a fuller participation in the liturgy, well, then they would be interpreting the document in the way that the Church was not intending for us to interpret it. So I think that's an important point to make, and notice out of true necessity, and when there's a genuine reason. Now, there are times when we can say at a regular Sunday Mass there is a genuine reason to have a few extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion to distribute Holy Communion, whether under one species or both species. Is this abused in some local parishes? I think we can all agree, yes, it is. And it goes beyond the boundaries of genuine necessity or true necessity. But there is legitimate room for a pastor to decide to utilize extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion for true and genuine reasons and needs that he sees fit. So this is one of those areas where the church has given the pastor a little room of discernment here. And so in some cases, it's going to be abused. In some cases, it's not going to be abused, and it's going to be implemented in an appropriate way. And so that's what I would say. That's the few thoughts that I have, Alex, in response. What do you think of that, brother? That sounds awesome. All right, cool. Some work to do around here, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, and be at peace, Alex. I mean, 
we all experienced this in going to the liturgy. We were like, oh, this is too many. This is in conflict with what the church issues and its precepts. And so how do I go about doing that? Well, one possible way, you might charitably approach your pastor and say, hey, look, I was reading this in Redemptionis Sacramentum. What I'm seeing here doesn't seem to fit. Can you elaborate for me? Just take the approach of a student asking the teacher, like, explain this to me, rather than being offensive about it. And, you know, and if the pastor doesn't go any further with it, well, then you can say, oh, I did my part. I tried to, you know, give what the church teaches, and it's up to the pastor as to whether he's going to abide by it faithfully or not. So just don't—my recommendation for you and for all our listeners out there, Alex, is don't let this stuff— get us to where we're like starting to lose faith and we get in so much anxiety that we lose focus on the Lord and worshiping Him and the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Because I'll tell you from personal experience, man, it can consume you in a way that causes nothing but negative emotions within your soul uh, at at Mass, and you lose that experience that the Lord wants you to have at the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you, Alex. Yeah, appreciate you calling in today. Thank you, buddy. Thank you very much. All right. right. You bet. God bless. Hey, before we take our first break of the second hour here, and again, we are in the midst of open forum with Carlo Broussard. The number to call is 888-318-7884. I do want to mention here as we, uh, the day before, the beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday, of course, is tomorrow. And on shop.catholic.com, which Carlo mentioned earlier, we have a special sale going on with our bulk books. And that sale in particular involves free shipping. So we have a number of titles that are available. Free shipping on all bulk titles at shop.catholic.com and our five for $30 packages. It is in the continental U.S. only, so keep that in mind. But use the promo code BULKUP, B-U-L-K-U-P, BULKUP. That promo code will get you free media mail shipping on bulk orders, cases of books such as Why We're Catholic, $3 $3 a copy in books in bulk. The Bible is a Catholic book, $3 a copy. Words of Eternal Life, $1. Uh, 20 Answers the Eucharist, just $1 in bulk, and there are more. So again, enter promo code bulk up at checkout. We'll give you a free media mail shipping here in the continental U.S., shop.catholic.com. We will be right back with more Open Forum with Carla Broussard right after this. Your questions, Catholic Answers, live. Underwriting for Catholic Answers Live is provided by Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. On the web at realestateforlife.org. The most original and exclusive Catholic content is on EWTN Radio. One time somebody said to me, why don't you air these people? And I said, no, because I don't think they're Catholic. He says, by what right do you have to say that? I said, I own the network. (laughs) Mother Angelica Live Classics. Tonight, 8 Eastern on EWTN Television and Radio.
Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. David Matheson, Development Director here at Catholic Answers, sitting in for Cy Kellett. Cy, we hope we'll be back tomorrow. He's a little under the weather, so certainly keep him under your prayer, in your prayers. And we have with us for a second hour today of Open Forum, any question about the Catholic faith is fair game. Our guest is apologist here at Catholic Answers, Carlo Broussard. Let's go right back to the phones. Tina in Houston, Texas is calling in today. Tina, go ahead with your question for Carlo Broussard. Hi, thank you. Um, My daughter and I are uh, listening to an audio book, The Demon of Brownsville Road. It's a true story, and uh, I believe in demons, and I believe in angels. But I always thought the Catholic Church taught that ghosts were, uh, well, I guess I thought that that, that they didn't, that was a not real, because okay. there's a veil between heaven and earth, and when you die, you go to uh, heaven or you go to purgatory. And okay. of course, you go, you go to, you know, and so my daughter, I think I've misled her, and I'm just trying to, um, you know, she's not a practicing Catholic anymore. She's a non-denominational Christian, and but she's very interested in Catholic things, and I'm her source. Okay. And I think I've led her wrong here. <laughs> well, yeah. Tina, you know, it's yeah, it's a great question. And if let's just make sure we're clear on our terms and we're on the same page when we talk about a ghost, what we would mean as a Catholic analyzing this, we would mean a separated soul, like a soul that's existing, the soul of St. Peter, say, or the soul of whoever existing in the afterlife, right, departed from the body. That's simply what we mean by ghosts, separated soul. All right, so the question is, can God make it to be such that a separated soul in some way takes on a visible form and communicates with us here on this earth? And the answer is yes. This is something that the church recognizes Saints have written on it. Theologians have written on it. This is a possibility that in some cases the saints have testified this has happened. And for evidence of this, Tina, I would recommend—actually, uh, maybe, Dave, we can send her a free copy of—I don't know if it's in physical form. We don't do CDs anymore. It might be just the MP3 download. I don't know how we're going to do this, Tina. But I have a talk that yeah. I gave uh, that's available at shop.catholic.com called Purgatory from the Other Side. And what I do is I give evidence and testimonies from some of the great mystics and saints throughout our church history who have had encounters with souls from purgatory. And so that would provide evidence, at least anecdotal evidence, from their personal experiences, which we can be very confident is real, that the ghosts are the souls of these departed faithful ones of our Lord actually do communicate in these permitted circumstances with individuals here on earth. Does that happen all the time? Well, of course not. These are extraordinary events that our Lord wills to happen in some circumstances for whatever reason he sees fit in his providential plan. Now, that's with regard to separated souls of the faithful ones who might be in purgatory, or even the blessed in heaven, right? The Lord could allow for them to appear in a vision to someone uh, and communicate with them. Now, you brought up demons and angels, and of course we as Catholics, Tina, would recognize wholeheartedly that 
righteous and unrighteous pure spiritual creatures, demons, the unrighteous, angels, the righteous, let's just go with those labels. They are real. They exist. And they can and do affect and manipulate the world around us. And so in God's providential plan, sometimes he allows for uh, demons, uh, pure spiritual creatures, unrighteous beings who can affect the world around us. And that's when you call in a priest and you do an exorcism and all of that stuff to try to bind them uh, away from us. Uh, so those are real. and Those things do happen. That's a reality that we as Catholics recognize. And of course, the pure, the righteous pure spiritual creatures, such as angels, of course, they can affect our world as well. And one of the key differences is normally when it's a righteous angel, they're not going to be messing around with us to try to bestow fear within us or do mischievous stuff. Normally, that's going to that's going to be reserved for the unrighteous, uh, pure spiritual creatures or demons. So that's one of the indications that many who are trained in this field and expertise in this field, they'll be looking for things like that. Uh, so again, uh, with regard to ghosts and separated souls uh, communicating with us here on Earth, I would recommend my talk, Purgatory from the Other Side. Yeah, and Tina, hang on. Uh, it, it, Carlo's right. That is, in fact, an MP3 digital download. If you leave Edgar, our call screener, your email address, um, we're going to figure out how to send that to you. It might be a, a link where we can link it and yeah. you send you the link and you can then listen to it and even share it with your daughter. It's a great way to, to share some of the work we do. But if you hang on and, and give that info to, to Edgar, um, we'll figure out a way to get that talk to you, okay? Oh, thank you so much. You're thank welcome. you. That was great. Oh, thanks for calling in today. We appreciate it. And uh, stay in touch. You know, uh, yeah, go ahead, Carla. I, I was just thinking, one thought just occurred to me. So, in the Old Testament, in Second Maccabees, granted, mm. our Protestant brothers and sisters don't have that book, but in the Catholic Bible, which we recognize to be Scripture, in Second Maccabees, oh man, if my memory serves me correctly, I think it's chapter 14 or chapter 15, mm -hmm. uh, Judas, I think it's Judas Maccabeus, there is a vision or there is an experience of uh, Jeremiah the prophet appearing and interceding for the people of Israel here on earth, along with one named Onias, a high priest. Hmm. And so that ghost, these ghosts, right, separated souls, are encountered. You can also call to mind 1 Samuel 28, where the soul of the prophet Samuel is conjured up by King Saul, and hmm. there is a conversation that is had. Now, granted, King Saul does that in an immoral way, right, but you have right. the fact of the separated soul in God's providence being permitted to communicate in a visible and audible form with King Saul through the medium of the Witch of Endor. So those are biblical examples that could sure. complement the mystical tradition of the Catholic faith of separated souls interacting with us here on earth. Very good. Well, thanks again, Tina. And again, hang on. If uh, you haven't already given your information to uh, Edgar, uh, you'll have a chance to do that here momentarily. Let's go right ahead to Luca listening and watching on YouTube out of Massachusetts. Luca, what's your question for Carlo? Hey, yeah, I was just wondering, um, as Catholics, do we have to believe in the historical existence of Adam and Eve? Yeah, great question, Luca. So it depends on what you mean by have to. <laughs> okay, so... If by have to believe, you mean we are bound in conscience under the penalty of grave sin to believe Adam and Eve as historical human beings, well then we're going to have to say no because this was not an object of 
a definition by a pope or a council to infallibly define it, okay? Uh, that Adam and Eve in the Bible are actually the historical, two first historical parents of, Adam, uh, of the human race. Pope Pius XII dealt with this in the 1950 encyclical Humani Generis in section 37, where he deals with this explicitly, and where we get another interpretation of have to, right? So there is a sense in which we can say we as Christians have to believe in the historical existence of Adam and Eve by way of the ordinary magisterium of the church. That is to say, I can't go around publicly saying, hey, Adam and Eve weren't real. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the figures in the creation story of Adam and Eve do not uh, signify two original parents of the human race. So, so in that sense, if I, within my own heart, have trouble buying into it and I can't accept the historical Adam and Eve, well, then I wouldn't thereby be under the penalty of grave sin. And the key here in section 37 of Humani Generis, Luca, is where Pope Pius XII, speaking of what is called polygenism, um, that is the question with regard to Adam and Eve representing uh, a multitude of other human beings— uh, Pope Pius XII says the children of the church by no means enjoy such liberty. So he's saying, no, we cannot embrace this. However, it is not an infallible statement because he further says it is in no way apparent how such an opinion, namely polygenism, can be reconciled with that which the sources of revealed truth and the documents of the teaching authority of the church proposed with regard to original sin. Notice, Luca, how Pope... Oh, I hear the ah, I hear the music coming up. Luca, please hang on. On the other side of the break, I want to finish this with you. Okay, buddy? Very good, Luca. Hang on. We are going to finish that call, uh, that question, that answer here on the other side. We are in the middle of an hour of Open Forum with Carlo Broussard. You're going to the, uh, the 5 o'clock hour here on the Pacific Coast. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this. You're on Catholic Answers Live. Want to know more about the origins of the Catholic Church? Joe Heschmeyer explores the beginnings of Christianity. In the early church was the Catholic Church. Joe digs deep into the words and actions of those who lived right after the apostles to refute anti-Catholic claims of how the faith was lived back then. Order your copy of The Early Church Was the Catholic Church today at shop.catholic.com or get it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. As a child, the great theologian Thomas Aquinas asked, What is God? Best-selling author Kevin Vost's new book follows the mature thought of Aquinas in answering that question. In clear and approachable fashion, What is God? examines God's attributes and considers questions about him that have vexed mankind for centuries. Order your copy of What is God? today at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. If you're not a Bible scholar, the full message of how the Sunday Mass readings fit together can be tough to comprehend. Apologist Carlo Broussard is here to help. Join Carlo every Friday for the Sunday Catholic Word podcast. In each episode, he unpacks the scripture readings for that Sunday and brings them all together so you can better understand and defend the faith. Visit SundayCatholicWord.com to subscribe. That's SundayCatholicWord.com. As Catholic apologetics have gotten stronger, Protestant responses have gotten stronger as well. And now they have their own answers to rebut the standard Catholic proofs. Don't fret, we've got you covered. 
In his new book, Meeting the Protestant Response, apologist Carlo Broussard gives well-reasoned biblical answers to Protestant comebacks. Order your copy of Meeting the Protestant Response today at shop.catholic.com or ask for it at a good Catholic bookstore near you. Tomorrow on More to Life, finding forgiveness. Struggling to forgive or be forgiven? Let us help. That's tomorrow on More to Life. Now back to Catholic Answers Live. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. David Matheson sitting in for our regular host, Cy Kellett. We are in the middle of Open Forum with Carlo Broussard. we got about 30 minutes left in the show today. So if you want to give us a call, you can give us a ring at 888-318-7884. Carlo, you were in the middle of talking to Luca from Massachusetts yeah. about Adam and Eve. Yes. Yeah, so, right Luca, I was pointing out from Pope Pius XII in Section 37 of Humani Generis, he defines polygenism as either A, the opinion that uh, Adam, uh, after Adam there existed on this earth true men who didn't take their origin through natural generation from Adam as their first parent, or that Adam represents a certain number of first parents. And then he says that the children of the church by no means enjoy such liberty. But this is, what I was saying before the break is that this is not an infallible declaration that would bind our consciences under the penalty of grave sin, because he says it is in no way apparent how such an opinion can be reconciled with the doctrine, or the dogma, I should say, of original sin. That allows for the possibility of it eventually becoming apparent. So there's a small window of opportunity that he left open there that falls just shy of giving us an infallible teaching as to Adam and Eve being uh, first two original parents. And it is a strong argument that given the dogma of original sin and how original sin is transmitted to the progeny of Adam and Eve, that would seem to necessarily entail two original historical parents of the human race, but Pius XII here is indeed falling just short of an infallible teaching here. So do we have to do we have to give to assent to the historical Adam and Eve in the way that we have to give assent to, say, Mary's bodily assumption or the Immaculate Conception or the Articles of the Creed and all of the other infallible teachings of the Church? Answer is no. If by have to, we mean, do we need to give a religious submission of intellect and will and submit to this teaching as ordinary teaching while recognizing the possibility that uh, this could change and that there that there, this is not precluding error in an absolute way? The answer would be yes, we need to give religious submission of intellect and will, but if in our interior hearts we could not affirm it and assent to it, we wouldn't be under the pain of grave sin. So the, the, the distinction between the levels of teaching, infallible, non-infallible, which our colleague and good friend here at Catholic Answer, Jimmy Aiken, does so well of articulating in his book, Teaching with Authority, it 
it is, is, it is crucial to understand those distinctions of teaching precisely for issues like this so that we can know from our vantage point of what sort of response, what sort of assent do we need to be having to, these, to this particular issue and other issues like it. So the distinction in the levels of teaching is important, pastorally speaking, for us to be able to know as the people of God of how to respond to these teachings and what level they're on. Sounds good. Luke, I hope that was helpful to you. We're going to keep rolling here. We got uh, full lines here on Catholic Answers Live. Let's go to Sandra in South Carolina. She's also watching on YouTube. Go right ahead, Sandra. Mm -hmm. Hey, so as a Protestant who is attending Mass with my husband, who's a returning Catholic, I'm strongly considering Catholicism, and Mm -hmm. Ash Wednesday is coming up, and I wanted to know if I should go up to get the ashes on my forehead or if I should stay back. Yeah, well, great question, uh, Sandra. Just wanted to make sure I got your name there. Uh, Actually, you are permitted to go up and get ashes. So ashes are not a sacrament. They don't signify necessarily communion of faith beyond the need for repentance and a remembrance of our mortality. And given that that is what the ashes signify, repentance, remembrance of our mortality, that's something that you can do right? Repent, remember your mortality, and thereby you can receive the ashes, even though you are not visibly united with us as a Catholic. So indeed, you would be permitted to do so. And we actually have a Q&A on this on our website at catholic.com. If you type in, can a non-Catholic get ashes, uh, you'll get the answer there as well if you want to go back to the answer. Yep. All right, thank you so much. You bet. And Sandra, I would just recommend, yeah, I would just encourage you to keep inquiring, keep journeying, keep considering, keep reading, keep praying. And if in any way, you know, Dave, if in any way we can be of assistance to Sandra on her journey, that she check out our website, catholic.com, or just give us a call here at Catholic Answers Live some other time if she has some, I'm sure she's got other questions to ask us as well, right? Yeah, Yeah, for sure, Sandra. And I I will say, uh, I'm a convert myself, and catholic.com was instrumental in that. And the website now is better than it was when I was converting and coming into the faith. There's a great search bar up there. You can put any question you want, including the one that Carlo mentioned in that search bar, and it'll take you right to thousands, if not millions of pages of content that is all for free on catholic.com. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much. You bet, Sandra. God bless. Let's go to Caleb listening in Lincoln, Nebraska on our good friends, Spirit Catholic Radio. Go right ahead, Caleb, your question for Carlo. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Um, It's my understanding that um, those who get into heaven are part of a group we call the elect. Mm -hmm. So if a Catholic dies in a state of mortal sin, God forbid, we could say about him that he's not actually part of the elect. And this seems very similar to me, um, to the Protestants and what they would say about a uh, fallen away Christian, saying, well, he's not actually saved. Um, So my question is, What's the difference between the way the Protestants understand their doctrine of eternal security and our understanding of the elect? Yeah, great question, Caleb. So our understanding of the elect involves what sacred scripture reveals to us, that from all eternity God has willed that there is a certain number of individuals who will be saved. 
that from all eternity God knows and has willed which individuals that he will give the free grace of final perseverance to, which none of us have a right to or a claim to, but is a grace that is freely given to us to finally persevere and die in friendship with Jesus. Now, that does not entail that once we receive initially the grace of justification— that we thereby cannot ever lose it in this life and and thus regain it namely the fine you know either before or at the time of our death to finally persevere and die in friendship with Jesus that is in contrast to the common protestant notion of eternal security which states once you receive the initial grace of justification you can never lose that grace of justification in this life and that you are eternally secure. So hopefully you can see the nuance there and the difference. From the Catholic position, we believe that God can give the initial grace of justification and through mortal sin, that individual lose the grace of justification. And in God's providence, God wills to give the grace of justification to that individual freely again to reconstitute the individual as a member of the mystical body of Christ to die with sanctifying grace, with charity, in friendship with God, and thereby be numbered among the elect, to be part of the heavenly realm. Whereas uh, the Protestant or the common Christian view of eternal security would deny that one who is initially justified or saved can lose that grace of justification. So there's the difference between the two. There is some similarity because our Protestant friends who embrace the doctrine of eternal security will say from all eternity, uh, to whomever God gives the initial grace of justification, they are numbered among the elect. And that's similar to our view, like from all eternity, God knows who's going to be finally persevering and numbered among the elect. But the difference is whether that initial grace of justification can be lost in this life and thereby restored in this life before death. We say it can. Those Christians who embrace the doctrine of eternal security say it cannot. Is that helpful, Caleb? I think so. Um, So you're saying, as the Catholics understand it, we can join the elect but then fall out of it before death. No. Okay, very good question. Mm. The answer would be no, because from all eternity, the one who loses sanctifying grace and does not regain it by way of the grace of repentance before death, that individual from all eternity was never numbered among the elect to begin with. Note, Caleb, the the elect refers to those, at least in our theology, the elect refers to those who will be finally saved. It doesn't It doesn't bear upon what happens to the individual prior to that final salvation, namely initially receiving grace of justification, losing it, then getting it back, or not having it all the way up to death and then getting it on one's deathbed, right? So does that help clarify things for you? Yeah, I think so. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, the reason why, Dave, at the end there, it, it dawned on me that I needed to clarify that the elect is the what we're talking about the elect, referring to those who are finally saved by way of how we use it in theology, there are some authors uh, who quite persuasively, I might add, 
argue, and Jimmy Akin's one of them, he does a good job in a little booklet he self-published where he argues that the term elect in Scripture hmm. refers to those who become members of the people of God, regardless of whether they're going to stay a member or not. And then how we use the term elect in our theology referring to those who are finally saved. And it's within, it's with regard to the theological use that our buddy here, Caleb, was referring to the elect. Very good. Well, thanks for that explanation, Carlo. We appreciate it. And just want to, we've mentioned Catholic.com a couple times here on the show, and we, we uh, as a multimedia apostolate, a multimedia ministry here at Catholic Answers, we are always looking to add new content, new pieces to our website, new audio, new visual. The Catholic Answers School of Apologetics continues to grow. We've got a couple brand new things I want to mention to you. One of them is a brand new blog called Indulgences. So if you go to Catholic.com, slash magazine, catholic.com slash magazine, you will see right there on the right-hand side of the page, indulgences. And what that is, is quick hits. It's a blog. So quick hits about uh, issues in the Catholic Church, uh, faith and theology, uh, things that, that we can make, uh, have a quick take on those sorts of things, current events, uh, great new feature that it just got off the ground here within the last couple of weeks. So check that out. And in addition, we've added some new podcasts here at Catholic Answers. One, Jimmy Aiken's very popular book, Daily Defense, is now a podcast. You can see that on, on uh, Catholic.com or any other uh, podcast app you might utilize. Joe Heschmeyer has one called Shameless Popery, P-O-P-E-R-Y, Shameless Popery. And one of the very popular new ones is by my friend Carla Broussard called The Sunday Catholic Word. Tell us about that one. I'm glad to know I'm a friend of yours, Dave. <laughs> you got a friend Always. in me, right? right? Okay, Carla. <laughs> All right, so Sunday Catholic, <laughs> Sunday Catholic Word. It's a podcast where I look at the upcoming Sunday Mass readings yes. and pick out those details that are relevant for doing apologetics, the details in the readings that are going to come up in conversations whenever we're talking to our Protestant family member or friend or a family member or friend who's skeptical of Christianity and the Bible and might try to poke holes in our Christian faith by appealing to a Bible passage that seems to contradict some other Bible passage or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Some of these passages, some of these details a Protestant might bring up and say, hey, your Catholic belief contradicts this detail. And then other times we're looking at a detail as a Catholic and saying, hey, this is, the de- this is a detail that we in our tradition appeal to to give biblical justification of our particular belief that we have. So those are the sorts of things that I do in the podcast Sunday Catholic Word which listeners can subscribe to at sundaycatholicword.com or mrsundaypodcast.com. Okay, Mr. Sunday Podcast or SundayCatholicWord.com. Yeah, Mr. Sunday Podcast is ripping off of Mr. Clean, and they can listeners can actually get the logo of Mr. Sunday Podcast. If they go to, I guess, shop.catholic.com and type in Mr. Sunday Podcast, there's uh, coffee mugs with yeah. my Mr. Clean-looking logo. <laughs> why why would stickers. they associate you with Mr. Clean, Carlo? I don't get it. I think it has something to do with having no hair, buddy. Oh, okay. I got it. All right, good. Well, all kinds of great stuff there. And I also want to mention that uh, I I touched on Shameless Popery by Joe Heschmeyer earlier. That is now available on YouTube starting today. You can go to youtube.com and uh, and put an at Shameless Popery, at Shameless Popery, and get the video version of Joe Heschmeyer's brand new podcast as well. We're going to take our final break of the hour. We'll be right back after this on Catholic Answers Live. Hang on. Catholic Answers Live will return in a moment. 
St. John Paul II stated that, for the disciple of Christ, evangelization is a duty, an obligation of love. And the Catechism of the Catholic Church states that evangelization is necessary for salvation. So we know we're called, but how do we do it? St. Paul Street Evangelization can help. To learn more, contact us at streetevangelization.com. That's streetevangelization.com. If it's central to the faith, you can find it on EWTN Podcast Central, featuring the best of EWTN Radio, as well as faith-filled podcasts from our friends and affiliates across the nation, all in one place, all free. The destination for great Catholic audio programming is EWTN Podcast Central. It's like podcast heaven. Visit EWTN.com slash radio slash podcasts today. Welcome back to Catholic Answers Live. David Matheson sitting in for Cy Kellett this afternoon. And my guest, as we wrap up a great hour of open forum uh, with any question about the Catholic faith being fair game for us, uh, Carla Broussard is our guest today. Uh, we've got a few calls up there on the on the board. Why don't we go get right back to it, Carlo? Let's head to Javier in San Antonio, Texas. Again, listening on our good friends at Guadalupe Radio. Go right ahead, Javier. Hi, good evening. Good uh, evening. Thank you, Carlo and staff for... Uh, your ministry. Uh, so my question is, I deal with an issue of, um, uh, sorry, it's getting right now, um, scrupulosity. Sorry. Okay. And yeah. uh, the issue I, I encounter sometimes is uh, the, the occasion of uh, venial or mortal sin. Mm-hmm. From the Catholic understanding, does that so damage my relationship with God that any any further um, um, r- religious activity, whether it's prayer, reading, reading the Bible, hmm. um, any other, um, like a spiritual couple work of mercy, yeah. it's so damaged that it's it's not worth doing until reconciliation. All right. So to answer your question specifically, Javier, is that it would it your relationship with God would not be so damaged such that it would not be worth doing until reconciliation. So that's the short answer, but let me try to unpack that a little bit for you, brother. So it is true that whenever we are guilty of mortal sin, which means we incur the guilt of mortal sin by sinning in a grave way with full knowledge and deliberate consent, those three conditions must be met in order for us to incur the guilt of mortal sin. Charity does cease to exist in our soul. Sanctifying grace is not there. Charity is necessary for any religious act that we do to have meritorious value toward our salvation. That is, to contribute to us being finally saved and increasing our relationship with God. Okay, So since charity is not there in the state of mortal sin, the religious acts that we engage in are not going to be bringing about those effects. Okay, However... Religious acts that we do in a state of mortal sin, although not motivated and moved in us by charity, sanctifying grace, 
these acts that we would be performing would be due to God's, what we call in theology, actual grace, like God's temporary helps. Because you can't do anything good, especially of a spiritual nature, unless God is moving you to do it and causing you to do it. Because all good things come from the source of goodness, which is God. So even if we find ourselves in a state of mortal sin, and I'm still like kind of talking to God in my head and saying, God, man, I'm really, I'm, I'm sorry for that, you know? Well, we can rejoice in that because for sure we can know that's an actual grace that God is giving us to move us toward an act of contrition, where what we have right now is probably what is called in theology an act of attrition, where I'm just kind of thinking, yeah, I'm sorry. And then that can move us to get to the sacrament of reconciliation, have an act of contrition to where we receive God's mercy and reconstitute us to sanctifying grace as a member of the mystical body of Christ. So although... Uh, Although these acts in a state of mortal sin are not going to contribute in a direct way to our salvation, it can contribute in an indirect way. It's sort of a, a, it's a grace that God's given us to say, hey, God, have mercy. Send your graces upon me so that I can go to the sacrament and be reconstituted to the mystical body of Christ. So these prayers in a state of mortal sin are not completely worthless, so rest assured, Javier, that if you find your state, yourself in the state of mortal sin, which, given your scrupulosity, it is possible that you may very well not be in a state of mortal sin. You need to have a conversation and have some counsel and talk to your local pastor at your church about that because he can help direct you in that, and so I would highly recommend that. But if you find yourself in a state of mortal sin and you're moved to pray, and, and do so. Because that's an actual grace that God's giving you that can contribute to leading you back to a state of justification and salvation by receiving the free gift of sanctifying grace once again through the sacrament of reconciliation, ordinarily speaking, that our Lord instituted. What do you think of that, Javier? A tremendously charitable and helpful answer. Thank you, Carlo. All right, fantastic. Excellent. Well, thank you, Javier. We appreciate you calling in today. Let's stay in the state of Texas. Let's go to Noah, who is listening on 910 AM. Noah, your question for Carla Broussard. Hello. Uh, I was wondering, so my history teacher uh, was talking about the Catholic faith back by Martin Luther. Yeah. And was saying how all Catholics were wrong and bad. And I know that the Pope and some of the priests had the wrong ideas, which is what, like, paying for indulgences, which is what caused Martin Luther to write the 95 Theses. But he was saying that all Catholics are bad, and that, like, kind of offends me, and I don't know how to respond to that. Yeah, well, that's a great question, Noah, and God bless you, brother, for having the desire to want to respond in a charitable way and to, to defend our faith. And what's key there is seemingly, as you pointed out, the claim is that all were bad. And if he's going to make that kind of claim, like all Catholics were bad, <laughs> well, then he's going to have to put forward, he or she is going to have to put forward some evidence to do that. And there's not going to be any evidence to show that all were bad. Were there many Catholics who were corrupt at that time? Sure. There are a heck of a lot of Catholics who were corrupt at this time. And so although, Noah, as you said, we can agree with the teacher, yeah, there were some bad Catholics, even popes and bishops were bad at those times. That doesn't mean all were bad. 
And so the teacher here is being unfair in using that term of all to sort of embrace all Catholics at the time. And Noah, what you could do is just do a little research of researching the saints that came about at that time in history mm-hmm. that were battling with the Reformation, uh, who were writing articles and, and defending the faith, and the various saints who rose up to defend the Catholic faith against the product of Martin Luther and the Reformers and show how these were individuals who were suggesting a, reforma- a true Reformation, calling people to repentance to get out of their sin and corruption, and how those would give evidence that not all were bad. And then finally, Noah, I think it's important to bring up in these sorts of conversations like, okay, let's say these people were bad. Well, what's the implication? Does that mean I should stop being Catholic? Well, if that's the logic we're going to follow, well, then I would have to stop being a Christian because the first leaders of the Christian church, they were all, they all rejected, they all left Jesus on the cross and, and they, they failed to uphold their Christian faith too. Does that mean I need to leave Jesus? Of course not. So just because there are bad leaders of the Catholic church and even bad members of the Catholic church, that doesn't give us reason to leave the Catholic church because we know historically that the Catholic Church was founded by Jesus Christ. So that's what I would say to that. What do you think, Noah? Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And one thing I'll mention, Carlo mentioned some of the great saints. Uh, The Reformation actually produced some of the greatest saints in the history of the Church, and one in particular you might want to pay attention to. His name is St. Francis de Sales. Absolutely. And he wrote a book. He wrote many books, many pamphlets. He wrote a book called The Introduction to the Devout Life. Beautiful. And that is actually a, a book that I would make the argument any Christian regardless Catholic, non-Catholic, could read and get a great deal of spiritual value from. So maybe even suggesting to your teacher, hey, have you ever read Introduction to the Devout Life by by St. Francis de Sales? And if he says no, you should read it because you're going to get a lot out of that that says, yeah, there's at least one good Catholic yeah, during that and, time you know, period. And, Francis and there were many Sales, others. You know, yeah. he was born a little bit after, you know, several years after the Reformation, but it's still within when that time yeah. period mm-hmm. uh, to show that not all Catholics were bad at that time. Indeed, indeed. Um, Carlo, do you have any other recommendations of, of books? It sounds like Noah uh, might be maybe a bit of a budding apologist here. You got any ideas for uh, something maybe we could send him? That uh, would, uh... Yeah, let's see here. Uh, let's see. Trent did his DVD, uh, The Protestant, uh, what was it called? The Protestant Revolution mm-hmm. is the title of the DVD that was primarily done by Trent, but all of us apologists here at Catholic Answers contributed to it. It's called The Protestant Revolution. And so uh, Noah might be interested in checking that out and watching that video and that gives some historical context to what's going on with the Protestant so-called Reformation. Very good. Well, if you're interested in that, Noah, hang on the line, and and Edgar will take your information. Well, another great hour of Open Forum for Carlo Broussard of being with us today. We appreciate that. If you'd like to find out more about Carlo's work here as an apologist here at Catholic Answers, of course, author of many books, Purgatory is for Real, Meeting the Protestant Challenge, Meeting the Protestant Response, and tell us again what that new book is that you've got coming out here in March The New Relativism. The The New new relativism. Relativism. Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's woke moralists. Very good. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for all of you who called in, and we were able to get it to everybody on the line today. That doesn't always happen, Uh, but we will have another great two hours of Catholic evangelization and apologetics tomorrow. 
Be sure to join us. Hopefully, Cy Kellett will be back uh, for, uh, for Catholic Answers Live tomorrow. Pray for us. We'll pray for you. Hope everyone has a wonderful night. God bless.